The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. So today we're starting a new series on skillful living, studies in Proverbs. We're going to be doing this through the month of July, and uh, next week's my birthday, but don't tell anybody, next Sunday. Um, I wanted to begin today, somebody last week gave me a little note of, uh, that they had wanted me to read, and it comes from Brennan Manning's book, The Signature of Jesus. Now, this is quite a story. And I want you to ask yourself the question, do you think this is, these are the words of a wise man or a foolish man? Okay. I'm part of, the, this is a man who gave his life in Zimbabwe for Christ. And after he died, they found this letter on his desk. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean in his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide, reliable, capital G, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I have stayed up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. Those are the words of a wise man or a foolish man. Many in the world would say, if you give your life, you're foolish. But I say... And I think you would agree, this is a man who is very wise and understands the surrender and commitment to Christ. So today we begin this short series. It's very interesting in the ancient cultures of the world, almost all the cultures had wisdom literature. In the Old Testament, we have Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. They're generally considered the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. 
Babylonians, Mesopotamians, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, they all had their forms of wisdom literature. But what is unique about the Hebrew wisdom literature is that God's always at the center. All right, all these other cultures had ideas about wisdom and skill, this and that, but it was the Hebrews who said, you find wisdom from an all-wise God. See, and that's, that's very unique. As an overview, you know, we see that there are different kinds of ways that the wisdom is communicated through proverbs, parables, and riddles. Proverb often expresses something that's similar, a similarity. A parable is often satirical. And a riddle, of course, is perplexing and hard to discern the meaning. And you find all these kinds of things in the book of Proverbs that was primarily written by Solomon, but there are other authors as well. So I was interested that the scholars identify different patterns of this wisdom being communicated. And I wanted to share this with you just in an introductory way because it's important to note that their poetry isn't like our poetry, you know? It, it's different. And so I'm giving you this little list just to keep in mind as we make our way through the book. The first identified as identity or equivalence. For instance, Proverbs 14.4, where there is no oxen, the manger is empty. That makes sense. If you don't have any oxen, you're not going to have any feed in a manger, okay? That's a similarity or equivalence. Non-identity, contrast, or paradox. Proverbs 25.15, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Even a gentle tongue can break a bone. Third, Similarities or analogies, Proverbs 25, 12, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Often in these kinds of stains, you'll see the word like or like this or like that. that that's kind of an indicator for that particular pattern. Contrary to right order, how useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. <laughs> Pretty obvious, right? It's kind of useless to, to do that, Proverbs 1.17. Something that characterizes a person, an action, or a situation. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Before this is over, we will study in July the sluggard. I'll give you a fair warning, so you won't want to come. It's too convicting, so whatever. But, but he does talk about the sluggard, and he makes some great comments and helps us to be diligent. So again, that kind of just characterizes a person. States of relative worth or value. What a person desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. <laughs> Better to be poor than a liar. Consequence of character or behavior. A happy heart makes the face cheerful. Oh, yes, it does. But heartache crushes the spirit. So that's just a list of some of the patterns that we see in the book of Proverbs. We have to be careful to keep those in mind as we make our way through. Now, in chapter 9, it's, it's one of my favorite chapters in Proverbs, he, he, he tells us the contrast between the invitation of wisdom to the world and the invitation of folly to the world. And it's a, it's a great chapter, and this happens several times. You don't see it just here, but in other places too. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars, the perfect number, seven pillars. And she built the house. She has prepared her meat 
and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point in the city, the most prominent place, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Now, the fool also stole everything she claims as her own. And that's at the end of the chapter. We don't have time to read it all. But right there in the middle is probably the key for understanding the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, we're going to look at some of those words in detail. But just as we're, as we're getting started here, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And what exactly does that mean? It doesn't mean that we're to be terrified that if we do something wrong, God's going to squash us. That's Job's friends. They, you did something, Job. No, no, I didn't. No, you did. See, they had that view. And there's still a lot of people that think like that. That's not what the fear of the Lord means. Uh, let, me, let me try to illustrate this way. When Moses is up on Mount Sinai and he comes down with the law that God had written, it says in Exodus 20, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Very interesting. The same statement, he says, don't be afraid. And then he says, fear God. Don't be afraid of the thunder. Don't be afraid of the lightning. Don't be afraid of the outward demonstrations of God's power, but revere him. You've come to know him. He's communicated to you, and so revere him. Worship him. And it's the worship of the Lord that we know and are growing to know that keeps us from sinning because we want to please our Father in heaven. We want to give thanks for all that he's done for us. What he's done, what he's done. You know, we, we want to celebrate that by living for him. That fear of the Lord will keep us from sinning. Now, I think Tim Keller does a great job in a little book on Proverbs where he says, if God only accepts moral people, then we're slavishly going to fear punishment because we're going to be afraid we didn't get it right, we didn't do it right, he's going to squash me. But if God simply accepts everyone, then the fear of the Lord is only a warm sentiment. But the reality is this. If God redeems lost sinners, and he does, hallelujah, then in joy and awe of the Savior, it inspires not only our assurance of God and his promises, but it inspires us to serve him with a genuine joy and appreciation for his grace and for who he is. So you see the difference? It's, it's not the terror because there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You and I are not going to face condemnation if we're in Christ Jesus because Jesus paid that for us, right? And so out of love and as we grow in worship, 
we grow in our desire to please the Lord. Psalm 42, what a great psalm anyway. For so many reasons, David says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? You ever preach to yourself? I do it all the time. Sometimes in the shower, I don't always get answers, but you know, anyway, that's what he's doing here. Why are you downcast? Why so disturbed? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You see, that's the fear of the Lord operating in David's life. And that's, that's what we desire. We see that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I love this verse too. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Isn't that a great verse? The fear of the Lord. Proper recognition of who he is. It's all built on the relationship we have with God, especially as New Testament believers believing the gospel, the Savior, who is the way, the truth, and the life, has opened up a relationship with God. We call it eternal life. And that relationship inspires us to be wise. And it's the beginning of understanding wisdom. So why is this wisdom so Important. I want to look at the facets on this diamond called wisdom. I'm going to look at some words here. Well, again, this is introductory, so stick with me. We're going to try to cover these rather quickly. Hokmah is the Hebrew word for wisdom. And hokmah is used in Exodus to describe craftsmen who were gifted by God to build the tabernacle. So some of them were gifted in, in uh, linen, and some were gifted in metals, and, and they built the tabernacle because God had gifted them. And it's the same word translated wisdom, skillful people, people given skill. In uh, Proverbs 8, it is personified. Wisdom is personified. And we see it in the life of Jesus. Here in chapter 2, 52 of Luke, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus Christ grew in wisdom throughout his lifetime on the earth. Now, he's still God. He's the God-man, but he, in his maturing, is growing in wisdom. In Colossians, he says it so clearly, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, here we go, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if you want to know wisdom you're going to know Jesus. You're going to want to get to know Jesus. You're going to want to get to cultivate that relationship with him. Hokmah, wisdom. Now here's a second word, musar. Musar. It means instruction, discipline, or correction. Okay? Musar is a great word. It's used 30 times in the book of Proverbs. In Deuteronomy, God said it was by Musar that he defeated Pharaoh and set the slaves free. And the people needed to know what happened to Pharaoh, and it needed to be passed down to their children. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools don't like to be corrected. They don't like to be told they were wrong, right? Folly brings punishment to fools. That's the same word, musar. So again, there's a stronger translation of the word. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, musar, and do not resent his rebuke. It's training 
with a strong sense of accountability. All right, does that make sense? That's what Musar really is. It's training with a strong sense of accountability. And let's be honest, sometimes it can be painful. All right, it can be. But God does it in love. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end, you'll be counted among the wise. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline, Musar, will drive it away from him. That does not give us punishment to beat our kids with sticks, okay? That is not what this verse really is teaching, all right? Folly, deep-seated rebellion against God, not just childishness, but folly is in the heart of children, the rod of discipline, the rod of Musar, correction from the word of God. The shepherd used the rod to beat off enemies. And what's the enemy for our children? Sin. They need to be instructed, Musar, trained to avoid sin. The king also had a rod. And when Solomon wrote this, maybe he was thinking of the authority of his rod. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of Musar will drive it away from him. We don't like to be corrected. A few years ago, um, Brother Dick Horman arranged for us to go on a golf vacation together with a bunch of guys. And I was really embarrassed how poorly I was playing. I looked so good. I had the right shirt on. I had the right pants. I had good shoes. I had the right clubs. I had the most expensive balls. And every time I swung, I just yanked it to the left like I was hitting ground balls to the third baseman. (laughs) And I was exceedingly frustrated and embarrassed. And even though I stood up there and I thought, I'm going to hit this one good. Ben very mercifully took a film of my swing. (laughs) And as soon as I saw the film, I'm like, oh my God. Goodness, that is horrible. And immediately, I didn't start breaking par with every shot, but I certainly improved because I took the correction. You get it? It's not wrong to be corrected. We all fail. We all stumble. We're all fools at times, but Musar brings us back, and that's what's so precious about this truth. It's kind of like training as an athlete have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Paul says to the young preacher, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. That's Musar. The third one is bina, and this is the word understanding, and I really love this word too. It's a, it's a great Hebrew word. It, it appears um, quite a few times, 74 times the verb appears, and it's often stated in such a way as that God's the one who gives understanding. It is the ability to discern fine differences, okay? That's what understanding is like. When Solomon prayed for wisdom, he included the word understanding. Give your servant a discerning heart. There's the word, benah to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Oh no, that's where it appears, to distinguish between right and wrong. That's banah. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And you remember right after this, two women come to him and they had two babies and one baby died. You remember the story? And Solomon says, bring the baby out. We'll cut it in two and give it to the two women. And the one woman says, no, no, no. And he knows that's the mother. 
that's showing benah. That's showing understanding. So having understanding is the ability to discern between what's good, what's better, what's best. Not just good and evil, but also to have understanding. And, and it's, a, it's a beautiful word. It's a, it's a wonderful word. It's a, it's a wonderful gift from God. And that's why he says in chapter 2, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own banah. What happens? Oh, we try to figure it out for ourselves. I, I don't need to trust God. I can figure this out. And then we're depressed and anxious. <laughs> it's so much better to trust in God. Trust in God to give you banah and understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. He'll make your paths straight. He'll make them smooth. He'll give you guidance. So that's banah. All right. We're moving quickly. Heskio, prudent behavior. Here it's translated good judgment wins favor, but the way of unfaithful leads to their destruction. See my servant, this is Jesus, the Messiah, will act wisely. There's the word, Heskiel. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. That's the great introduction to the Messiah in Isaiah's great chapter 53. Keller says this is the foresight, Heskiel, to see trouble and avoid it. So it isn't being overconfident or overcautious. It's somewhere in the middle there. And that's what haskiel is. Mezizma is discretion. This is almost a synonym. Whoever plots evil will be known as a schemer. So this is carrying out the purpose of God, that what God wants, not what you want, is the word discretion. And uh, that's, that's a great word. Orma is another word translated sometimes, oh, there's discretion again. It will protect you. Maintain discretion, and your lips will preserve knowledge. Okay, now we go on to Orma. Prudent, see danger, take refuge, but the simple keep on going and pay the penalty. So again, all three of those words are almost synonymous, uh, yet they are distinguished slightly by uh, Solomon in the book of Proverbs. Now finally, the last word is da'at. It means knowledge. It's the most basic word in Hebrew for knowledge. And uh, we need to know that knowledge comes from the Lord. Now, people can be very knowledgeable about stuff and still be fools, right? But people who are wise will be knowledgeable. And it's a knowledge of God. It's a knowledge of his word. It's how we grow in, in knowledge. It's almost like wedding together knowledge and, and wisdom and, and then having success. That, that's the beauty of, of this, this great word. To the discerning all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. Now the process of learning is like ha. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. Instruct the wise and they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. That's kind of the process of learning. And where do we get wisdom? From the revelation of God. All right? our relationship with the Lord, and his revelation to us. I told you recently that I was rereading an old book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. It was written in 1973. I remember reading it the first time when I was just a new Christian and just loving it. 
and I've been rereading it. And he makes a real good point in one of the chapters. Why do we read this old book with these old stories? They're thousands of years old. Why would we read this? Because God is immutable. He doesn't change. And so it's okay not only to study the history and the grammar and the language, but also to say, how does this apply to me? See, And for that reason, we study Scripture, and it gives us wisdom. Wisdom. So we're going to sum it all up. Here we go. Respect for God brings blessing. Worship God. It brings blessing. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God. But whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. Wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So who needs wisdom? Everybody. (laughs) None of us have arrived. None of us got our degree. Oh, I'm wise now. Right? We're always in the process of learning. We're always growing in our understanding of wisdom. And let's be honest, sometimes the journey's pretty rough. (laughs) And we have to go through it alone. Somebody else can't do it for you. You have to do it. And God teaches you along the way. That's where Musar comes in and some of those other things. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs, parables, and the sayings and riddles of the wise. So we all need wisdom. And in the New Testament, James, who was the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, grew up in the same house with him, even though they didn't have the same father because Jesus was born of a virgin. But James was his brother, lived in the house with Jesus. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Isn't that a great verse? Don't you just love that verse? I mean, isn't that a most wonderful truth? That if you're lacking wisdom, you admit it, you ask God, and he gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You know, when I read that, I think it's like, God, I I need wisdom. And God doesn't say, you again? What, are you back here again? It's okay. He's always ready to impart more wisdom. And you know, just the time I think I understand it, I don't right? The world throws me a curveball or a slider. That's even a more deceptive pitch. Or a knuckleball. That's the worst. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Again, Jai Packer gives a warning, and I want to share this with you. I think it's very important. When God gives us wisdom, it doesn't mean we become omniscient. I think some people think, oh, if I have wisdom, I'll understand everything. That's not true. That's not true. No, nobody's omniscient except God, right? So he describes it this way. If you're standing along the track and you see a train go by, you see the train but you don't understand everything about trains. You don't understand everything about the network of all the trains. If you went to the place where they're monitoring all this and you saw the map and the lights and all this and that, you'd have a better idea. But God's the one in that room. <laughs> we're still on the track watching the trains go by. And we're to live for God and not expect that we're going to know and understand everything. Now, sometimes God does give us discernment. Sometimes we do have a hint for what could happen. And, and that is wisdom, but it's not like... We're omniscient, and we need to trust God through every experience in life. We need to be humble and trust him through every experience. The search is worth it. The search for wisdom is worth it. 
Kidner, another commentator on Proverbs, says two things are required. First, you have to experience conversion. Turn from evil. <laughs> like if you want to just pursue evil, you don't need wisdom. But if you want to avoid evil, you need wisdom. And then secondly, devotion. Really be devoted to searching for wisdom. Because God wants to give it to you. He wants to impart skillful living that honors God. That's the way I would translate it. Where do you search for it? In the scriptures. Look at this in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Think about that one for a moment, huh? And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. The gospel is the greatest expression of wisdom. And it's the power of God unto us who are saved and being saved, right? But to the world, it seems foolish. Just the way it is. Let's seek the wisdom of God. Skillful living that honors God. You're going to hear me say this for the whole month of July, all right? So get used to it. Skillful living that honors God. Now, Sir Richard Baxter, who wrote a great book called The Reformed Pastor many years ago, had a little poem for preachers. Ye saints who toil below, adore your heavenly king. And onward as you go, some joyful anthems sing. And praise him still through good and ill, whoever lives. Packer again in his book, I want to close with this, because it's such a great thought. The fruit of wisdom is Christ-likeness. Peace and humility and love. And the root of it is faith in Christ. Okay, so the fruit seen in the fruit of the Spirit, Christ-likeness, the root is faith in Christ as the manifested wisdom of God. Thus, the kind of wisdom that God waits to give to those who ask him is a wisdom that will bind us to himself, a wisdom that will find expression in a spirit of faith and a life of faithfulness. So as he concludes that chapter, this is what he says. Let us see to it then that our own quest for wisdom takes the form of a quest for these things, and that we do not frustrate the wise purpose of God by neglecting faith and faithfulness in order to pursue a kind of knowledge which in this world is not given to us to have. That is that omniscient kind of thing. So, let's commit ourselves this month to seeking wisdom. As I said, next Sunday is my birthday. Don't tell anybody. But, what about this? What if we read one chapter of Proverbs every day through the 31 days of July. What a great way to enjoy the month. And fortunately, there are 31 chapters and there's 31 days, so we got one chapter for each day. I did this with my uh, older boys years ago, and I was amazed at the end of that journey of that month, one of them called me, and God had just given him such insight into some things. And it was simply because he committed to just reading one chapter each day for a month. All right? How about it? We seek wisdom. Let's seek it. Let's make that commitment, and God will bless. He'll give us wisdom as we ask for it. Dear Lord, I thank you today for this overview of wisdom and your literature that has directed us to you. Dear Jesus, thank you that you are full of wisdom. You are all-wise Savior, 
All the treasures of wisdom are in you. So help us to cultivate a growing relationship with you every day. Help us to keep our Bibles open as we search the scriptures for your revealed truth that gives us wisdom. Help us to pray often to give us wisdom and know that you will give it without finding fault and you give it generously. Lord, thank you that we have been given the privilege of knowing wisdom and following wise paths. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.